10 and uh, hopefully get through the end of ver hopefully get through 11 and and some of 12 and then uh, we'll uh, introduce uh, some things down in verse 13 and following for next time Romans 11 11 I say then have they stumbled that they should fall God forbid but rather through their fall salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles how much more their fullness for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles I magnify mine office if by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might have saved some of them for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead and again Paul here he's he's dealing he, he Paul's laying out his argument here about the issues here um, really the challenge of the question in verse 1 hath God forsaken hath God cast away his people and so Paul's been laying out his case giving it he's just setting it forth and here now in chapter 11 he is I'm sorry verse 11 as his manner is he goes into the synagogue he's dealing with the Jew in the synagogue and he's basically telling them you're cast away you have lost your favored position with God. You're not God's favored people anymore. Now, God hasn't abandoned them. He's given them an, a renewed opportunity, and that's really what he, he's going to deal with and do now in the, in the rest of 11. He's not done with Israel. They have a future hope, verse 26, yea, and all Israel shall be saved. But verse 15, for if the casting away of them... As a national group of people, they have been cast away. They've been thrown away. They, their, their privilege has. He went in in verse 1 there and he said, but the individual Jew still has an opportunity here for salvation, to, to get righteous, to, have, to get and obtain the righteousness of God. You're just going to have to do it through my ministry now rather than through the little flock and the believing remnant. So as he is moving here in verse 11 we saw last time and I'll say kind of just remind us of this have they stumbled that they should fall God forbid and I put the chart up so I didn't have you didn't have to try to read my my chicken scratch they stumbled at the Messiah the identity of the Messiah they missed him and we've seen that oh countless chapter 9 chapter 10 over and over again they stumbled at the but they don't fall now this stumbling here results in Calvary the crucifixion that's the result of it by the way this stumbling over their Messiah God in the Old Testament prophets the Psalms the law and the prophets have all foretold that they would do this so it should not be a surprise to them they're on he's told them we looked at the passages all and I last time Zechariah Habakkuk all through back in there Zephaniah Malachi you're gonna fall you're gonna stumble but you don't fall that's why he would say here in chapter 11 back up there in verse 2 where he talks there about the scripture saith of Elijah of Elias that's Elijah 
which is, is, which is 1 Kings 19, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Israel is in a similar situation. They, they have stumbled. They're not being God's people, but they don't fall. Then in the Acts period, in, with the little flock, you have, so you have the resurrection, so you've got a stumble, the Calvary. Post-Calvary, after the crucifixion, Peter and them come in, and the little flock go and do their, they, their ministry for the first seven chapters of Acts, a year. And Peter tells them, we, and again, we looked at this last time, you are stumbling. You're stumbling. So they stumble over the Messiah, then they stumble over the ministry of the little flock, but then what happens? Verse 11 God forbid, but rather through their fall. Then they do fall. And that falling has to do there with in Acts 7. So the historical fall of Israel is in Acts 7. Okay? In Acts 7, with the stone, come back to Acts 7. Just see this. Again, if, I'm trying to remind you of about, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks of study here, Acts 7, verse number 55. But he, and that's Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So he sees him standing. Well, we went and looked at that. Why does the Lord stand? Well, one, he... Every time you read about the Lord standing, he's standing to come and carry out a judgment of some. In, in, in Isaiah, he'll, he'll stand, and, and actually it's in, it's in Ezekiel, he'll stand, and he's standing on behalf of Israel, but they're in a courtroom scene. He's an advocate there. Here, he's coming back, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 3, to pour out the day of wrath. Now, the thing about it is, is, what did Peter tell them in Acts 2? So go back to Acts 2. Again, Peter, they've stumbled here, and then they're going to fall. Acts 2. Peter tells them, uh, by the way, look, look at Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost, verse 1. Look at verse 16. Verse 15, but these are not drunken. Peter standing up, verse 14, he begins to speak to the men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, verse 14. Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and that's Joel chapter number 2. See, the prophets have been telling them this is what's going to happen. Now, so Peter gets on them. Now, if you go down to verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, this is Psalms 110, verse 1, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. So when he ascends up into heaven, he takes a sitting posture. He's sitting. When you're sitting, you're at rest. When you're sitting, you're not engaged in activity. He didn't have a computer where you would work. <laughs> He's sitting. Linda and I, we, we go we, out back, we, we just had our pool redone and everything, and we go and we sit out back. We're not doing anything. She brings a book, I bring my phone. 
And then she yells at me for my phone, and I yell at her for her book, and we just get up and go back in the house. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't, we, we, we sit, we talk, but what are we doing? We're relaxing, we're resting. He sits. He's just completed the, the work of Calvary. He sits, he rests. Till what? Till. Timing. There's a time. Well, until Acts 7, what happens there in Acts 7? Go run over there. Verse 55, what's he do? He see, he, Stephen sees the Lord doing what? Standing. And we looked at that issue there in 55 about the glory of God and that issue there about in Matthew 25 and, and, and so forth and uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 where what Stephen sees is he sees the angelic army ready to come back and pour out wrath. It's not that he just sees a Shekinah glory and a halo and all that. He sees the heavens getting ready. To, it's time to pour out the wrath. It's time to come back and pour out judgment. So he's standing. That's the judicial fall. That's the historical fall of the nation of Israel. And the reason they fall is because they don't value the word of God. They didn't do, they, didn't, they don't obey his word. They come along and they disobey it. And again, throughout all of throughout it, it's fascinating when you study scripture and you go back and you look at Israel's history, they are told constantly what their future is. And you know what? Constantly it comes to pass. They don't get it. They reject it. So they fall. God tells them in advance, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And this is how you're going to respond to what I do, which is in response to what you're going to do. And they still just rebel. So go back to Romans 11. So when Christ stands and Stephen sees him, by the way, that's why he, Stephen will say there in Acts 7, uh, Father, don't lay this to their charge, because he sees the flaming fire and the vengeance. He sees it coming. They know it's to come, and yet they're still, they take him out and they stone him right on time. Everything in the Old Testament is happening according to Daniel 9, the time schedule, it's happening right on time. The Lord was made of a woman when the fullness of the time was come. Right on time, he's born. Right on time, he's doing his earthly ministry. Right on time, the crucifixion happens after the 69 weeks. Right on time, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Right on time. And he's right here. That's where they're at. It's next. The 70th week, kingdom, second coming, and on in. But he instead does what? Well, 11, 12. Romans 11, verse 12. Now if the fall of them be the what? The riches of the world. The, the fall, Israel's fall, Acts 7, created something. A dynamic, a... Time continual shift, a dispensational interruption. Because what does God do? He reaches in, and instead of the Lord coming back in vengeance and in wrath, now he's going to pour out some riches. L look at verse 12. 
by the way, verse 11, just, well, look at verse 12. We'll, we'll get back up in verse 11 here. I, let me just say, you see in verse 11 where he says, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, see the riches of the world has to do with that salvation going to the Gentiles. God has, when Israel fell, some good things begin to happen for the world. God hit the pause button on the prophetic program. He doesn't hit the stop, he hits the pause. You know how you used to do that? It's very fascinating to find people who still have VHS players, you know, because I need one, and I, you know, you find them, and then you get them home, and then they don't work. And I was in Goodwill, actually, and I was looking, and a guy had one there, and I went, I saw it, and I know, because it's the biggest bulky box on the shelf, you know. And I went right over, and then this guy's looking at it, and I go, do you have a tape to play in it? And he goes, it plays a tape. <laughs> And I go, yeah, I got a whole room full of them. He's like, you do? I go, yeah. He goes, I go, it's about like that, yay, big, like that. He sticks, and he goes, no, we don't have that. I said, well, will it even turn on? He goes, oh, it'll turn on. He was a worker, you know. And usually they have stuff you can put in and make sure it works. So I bought it, and I got home, and it didn't work. It, it ate, actually ate the tape up, so it needed a good head cleaning, you know. But it's a blank tape. I don't do my good stuff on them until I know they're going to work. But what did he do? He hit the pause button, and everything just kind of, everything, boom, stops, pauses, right at the, at the most critical point for all of human history, for all of humanity. If God had let the, the system go, what was coming? Wars and rumors of war and desolation and the Antichrist and the tribulation, the great tribulation. The earth was prone, man was prone for judgment. That's what was coming. But he hits the pause button and says, I'm going to do something else. Hang on a minute. I'm going to do something that's going to be about the riches of the world. So he hits the pauses. He hits the pause button here. And that's what Paul's getting at. Guys, the pause is temporary. Israel, your condition is cast away. You're, the issue here with, remember that verse in Thessalonians when we looked at it, and the, the, utter, the wrath to the uttermost is come? Is come. It's there. What was that? Their fall, that was their wrath. They're no longer the issue of a favored people any longer. There's a pause. And Paul's epistles here. By the way, literally, if you took Acts 7 where they fall and close that back up, so what are we removing? Paul's epistles, it's literally going to pick right back up where it left off. So when the church, the body, is raptured out and taken home, where is it going to pick up? Right where Stephen says in, in Acts 7, 55 and following. Whoa. Now, there's some things that are going to happen in here prior to that because when the rapture happens, all the believers go, so the Lord's got to get Israel back and the little flock back, and that's 144,000 and the two witnesses 
and all of that gets ginned back up and going. So there's some time. Remember when we, did, we looked at that issue about uh, Daniel 9, the 36 weeks uh, ends. I'm sorry, the 69 weeks end right as the Lord is on what we call Palm Sunday going into Jerusalem. It, that's where it ends. So then Calvary and everything else listed is in that gap of time that nobody knows. And then we gap that gap. Remember we did that? Please say yes. Oh, please. That was a few weeks ago. Come on. Okay? You begin to put this together, and literally, he says, right where the Lord was standing. Look over with me at Revelation. Just I, I say that and just show you. Look at Revelation. Look at Revelation 3. So if you took Paul's epistles and removed them, and you went and started up, the book of Revelation we're in, guess what the Lord is doing? Well, look at Revelation 3, verse 20, a verse we all are familiar with. Behold, I, what? Stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. What's the Lord doing? He's standing. But look at chapter 5, because Paul, or John gets transported up into the third heaven. He gets transported up into the Father's throne room. And there's, uh, there's the 24 elders. There's the four beasts. The four cherubims are there. The Lord is there. And they're asking the question, who can open the sealed book? Who can open that sealed book and get this bad boy going? By the way, what's contained in the, seven, in the sealed book? Good things or bad things? Bad things. Judgment. Verse 6. Revelation 5, 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst, I, there, that's John. And lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, what? Stood a lamb. See how he's standing? He's not, he's not getting up. He already has gotten up. Acts 7. Acts 2 to 7. He sits. He stands up. Stephen looks right into that throne room, right here to verse 6. And what's the lamb doing? He's standing as it had been uh, slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth to all, un, into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials and full of odors and with the prayers of the saints, and they sung a new song, and he begins to open that up, and guess what comes? The 70th week of Daniel comes. Tribulation comes. My point is, is when Stephen sees him standing, it isn't just, oh, look, he's standing, and he's to receive me back. No, he's standing. He sees the glory of God. He's got the angels. It's ready to come back and pour out wrath. Now go back to Romans 11. But what happened in Acts 9? The road to Damascus happens, and God reaches down and converts a guy on the road, Saul of Tarsus. We'll see it in just a second here. And, in, and there, God interrupted. Acts 7, they fall. God establishes a new dispensation in Acts 7 with Stephen. So then he can then reach down and deal with Saul of Tarsus on the road, because Saul had committed that one sin that couldn't be forgiven, the blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. And then Romans eleven twelve says Israel is going to diminish away. Okay? Now, 
Let's go have coffee and donuts. Got it? Okay. That's not going to happen. You know me better than that. Look, come over with me to, to Titus chapter 2. He stands, and again, instead of wrath, he pours out the riches. He pours out salvation to the Gentiles without Israel as a mediator. He pours out the riches. He pours out his grace, his peace, his long-suffering, his mercy. In, in prophecy, now you got to think about this. He stands to come back and pour out his wrath. But, the, but Paul says, when he stands up now, his standing, he's doing something else. Look at Titus 2 and look at verse number 11. Because in Acts 9, Paul sees the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's still standing. But he's doing something different now. Look at Acts 2, I'm, I'm sorry, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, notice, hath appeared to who? All men. How did the grace of God appear? It appeared to who? All men. First one to get it was who? Paul. Then he turns and he gives it out, Ephesians 3, to everyone else. But notice how he says the Grace of God is what appeared. See how he uses that big term to cover everything. In the earthly ministry of the Lord, and, the, and then subsequently the Acts period under the ministry of the little flock, who did they go to? Who did Peter talk to in Acts 2? Ye men of Israel. The Lord, the lost sheep, the Lord, that little Syrophoenician woman comes up there. She just needs a little help with her daughter. And he goes, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wouldn't even talk to her. He ignored her. It took the, the, the apostles to come and say, would you just talk to her? She's nagging us to death over here. Would you just deal with her? And he goes, I'm not, it's not, I'm not dealing with her. And then she busts through the ranks and calls him Lord and puts herself in the proper position and, and demonstrates her faith and who he is. And then he deals with her. My point is, is in, in, in the earthly ministry, in the Gospels and the early Acts, it wasn't to all men, it was to who? Just the few, just the many. Come over to 2 Timothy, or back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. So there's an appearing to Stephen in Acts 7 where he's going to pour out wrath. And then in Acts 9, there's an appearing to Saul of Tarsus, Paul on the road to Damascus. He doesn't pour out his wrath. He pours out the grace of God. Now look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth, uh, Paul's going to die. He's dying. He knows his end is near. Verse 7, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, now watch, but unto all them also that love his, what? Appearing. Well, think about that appearing. There is a, an appearing in Acts 9. Do we not love that appearing? I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I changed the world, human history. But then we also love that appearing of the great Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, at the day of redemption. 
So you got, a you got two appearings to love in the dispensation of grace, the beginning one and the end one. And you're going to love both of them on an equal basis because of what they mean and they demonstrate for you and I. When Paul sees in Acts 9, come back to Acts 9. <clears throat> come back to Acts 9. Just notice this. When Paul sees the Lord in Acts 9, Acts 7, Stephen sees him in the heaven, third room, third heaven up there, ready to come back, pour out his wrath. Acts 8, some events happen there with Philip that, that are demonstrating that the Gentiles are ready to hear the message from the nation of Israel. The, the Samaritans are ready to hear, but Jerusalem is not. So the world's ready. But Israel isn't. They're still in apostasy. So in the, in the prophetic program, they had to have Israel be right for everybody else to hear it. But everybody's ready, but Israel isn't right. So guess what? Nobody's going to hear it. Then you have Acts 9. And he's, he goes here, verse number 4, verse 3. And as he, and that's Saul, journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round, round about him a light from heaven. By the way, you see that word suddenly? How does the dispensation of grace begin? How does this begin? Suddenly. How's it going to end? Suddenly. See, that? that's that loving his appearing. How it started and how it ends. They mirror one another. Anyway, round about, he fell, verse 4, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And off you go. You go over to chapter 26, and you find out that at that moment in, those, in that discussion there that Paul sees and gets his, my gospel, that now the message, the good news message, is that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day for your sins. Period. Faith alone. He got that. And then he got some dispensational things of Israel has fallen. Now go back to Romans 11. So when you think about this, in Acts 7, what has he done? He's standing to come back and pour out his wrath because Israel has fallen. But rather, he pushes the pause button and says, you know what I'm going to do? Verse 11, I'm going to send salvation to the Gentiles. 11.11. Through their fall, is sal salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Now, in John 4, the Lord says, salvation is of who? The Jews. Do you think the Jews loved hearing the message now that salvation is of the Gentiles? Not at all. And that's going to get into that provoking, and we'll talk about that next time. The grace of God now has appeared to who? To all men. It's showed up. It's there. So from the book of Genesis all the way to Acts 7, there is no teaching that God provided salvation to the Gentile world through the casting away of Israel until here with Paul. Follow that? Salvation was going to the Gentile world, but through Israel and her being in uh, 
charge. He looks at Israel and he says, you're the head, not the tail. You're the lender, not the borrower. You're my people, not my people. See, that's why they sit up here and the Gentiles are down here. They, in prophecy, Israel is to rise into her kingdom. What's Paul saying? You're thrown away. You're cast away. You're not the issue. You see, the prophetic program emphasized that the Gentile salvation would come because of the rise of Israel. In Acts 9, when Paul shows up, Israel's fallen. And what does he say, verse 11? Through their fall, salvation is now what? Come to the Gentiles. Unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Why did he appear in Acts 9? Verse 12, now if the fall of them be the what? The riches of the world. I'm in Romans 11, okay? So why did he appear in Acts 9? To send forth the what? The riches of his grace, the riches of the world. Now, we're going to catch the provoking issue next time, Lord willing, hopefully, okay? <laughs> That's the plan. Because there's a, if you look down at verse 14, if by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. See, so there's another verse in the provoking. So there's a whole thing about Paul's Acts ministry in this diminishing time where he is provoking Israel to jealousy. And again, that Israel is that apostate nation, the unbeliever. Okay? All right, verse, 11, uh, verse 12. Now, if the fall of them is, be, be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Notice, when Paul teaches something about the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a glorious thing. How did Peter preach the cross in Acts 2, 3, 4? As what? Bad deal. Wicked hands, you crucified him. You've killed the Messiah. What does Galatians 6, what does Paul say? We are to what? Glory in the cross. The preaching of the cross to them that, are, to them that believe is power. We're saved. The, we preach Christ crucified, not ourselves, him. The cross. It's the same thing. How did Stephen see his appearing? Uh-oh, here comes the wrath. Father, don't lay this to their charge. Here it comes. What's Paul say? Man, his appearing, he's laying out the grace of God hath appeared to all men. The riches of the world is right here. The reconciling of the world is right because of his appearance. You see that? It's a completely different attitude, a, a completely different message. Because now God's grace, God's salvation extends to all people groups. It's moving to everybody. It isn't just isolated to go here and then here. It goes to everyone. So then he says, and this is, all that was review, by the way. <laughs> so we've got a half hour to get the diminishing of them, okay? <laughs> the diminishing of them. Because, now watch, they stumbled, they don't fall. They stumbled, but then they do fall. And then they, because of their fall, there's a diminishing. And the diminishing will run Acts 8, if you want, 9 to 28 specifically for sure, okay? Now, when you think about 
this issue of them diminishing away. Prophecy has to do with Israel on the rise. Israel being the head. Now, in the age of grace, we learn something about the what? The riches of the Gentiles, the world. Without who? Israel. Prophecy says, if the Gentile, uh, King Solomon, wisest man ever to run the world, to rule the world, to walk the earth, other than outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Queen of Sheba do? You remember what she said? The half wasn't told of the wealth and everything. Who was Queen of Sheba? She's a, just a Gentile king. Queen, sorry. Monarchy. What did she do? She came and put herself in the proper position as to who? King Solomon, Israel. The rise of Israel. Now we're finding out that no, now we're talking about the riches of who? The Gentiles, the world. And this, again, uh, right division, folks, helps clear, muddy, clear up a muddy water in our thinking and our study because what did he do? They fall. He hits a pause. We're going to do something else, and then we're going to pick right back up where we left off and finish out the prophetic program. He's not done with the nation. He's not done with his people. He's just doing something else right now. Okay. Paul uses the term diminishing for a reason. I, I was telling the guys yesterday at the Men's Fellowship, it's interesting if you read Paul's terminology, language, there, he uses terms on purpose, stumble, fall, diminishing. When you diminish something, that is to, to not just shut it off, but to reduce it slowly, isn't it? You're, it's a slow reduction. He could have cut them off here and been done with them, but he wouldn't have been able to do the provoking that he wants to do. So he diminishes them away. In Acts 9 to 28, it's roughly about 30 years where they are diminishing away. Okay? And they become less and less of importance. That diminishing, where he, he's dealing with Israel, he's just not dealing through Israel. He's dealing with that sinner. What did Romans 3 say? We, verse 9, we both, we've concluded that both, the Jew and the Gentile are what? Sinners. We've already proved the case. They're sinners. What's been Israel? We're in Mark 7 on Wednesday night. He's dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes, calls them hypocrites. Why? Because they're saying one thing and they're doing another. They're saying the word says this, and but you know what he's proven? He's proven the real issue there is in their hypocrisy is that they are sinners. They got a heart problem. They think they can fix their defilement by an external religious activity. And the Lord says, no, you fix your defilement by fixing the inner first. Then that'll fix that over there. So when you think here, what he's doing is he is dealing with, come back to Acts 17. Just again, we've been here just to remind you of this and this issue of the diminishing away. And again, next time we'll get that provoking because the thing about him provoking, uh, it, 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 it's just tremendous. So when you read Paul doing something in the, Acts, the book of Acts, 
By the way, it's Acts of the Apostles. Who, which apostles? Which apostles? <laughs> Those guys. When he, you see them, when you see Paul do stuff in Acts, everybody freaks out. Do you know that he raised the dead? He took his, get it out, handkerchief, didn't wipe his nose, wiped his brow, sent it to a guy in the mail, the guy touches it, and he's healed. You thought just the TV guys made that stuff up. It came out of Scripture. That, guy, that kid falls out of the third loft. He goes over and restores him. Back. I mean, he's dead. Raises him. He goes over, and as his, he'll baptize, water baptize. He'll go over, that viper comes out of that fire and grips, and he'll just reach over and throw it off, and they think he's a god because it didn't impact. And everybody goes, oh, look at that. We, we can do that today. No, you can't. You know what happens if a snake bites you? You better be dialing 911. That's what you better be doing. You know, hopefully, well, Marlo's playing with the snake in the backyard the other day, you know. <laughs> Did you see that guy on the news, that lady? She opens up her garage. She left her garage door open for about an hour, which is an awatuki, which is not a good thing to do. Because a snake had crawled in. She didn't know it. She opens the door, and she can hear the rattle. And that dude's standing up like this, ready to strike, curled up. And she's like, oh, and she's got video. And I'm like, I would be, uh-uh, I don't think so. You know, I can deal with all the other, but that, no, 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 no. You go back outside, you know. What do, what do you do today? You can't do that today. Water baptism just gets you wet today. That's all it does. It doesn't do... Why? Because what was Paul doing? He's provoking Israel. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. What? What? What do you mean you're not supposed to speak in tongues? Well, there's a, there's a whole thing behind it. So if you want to understand what Paul's doing in Acts, why he's doing, don't read Acts. Go read the book Paul wrote at that time. And he'll tell you in his epistle what he's doing. I'll just say it now so I'm thinking about it. We get our doctrine that we live by and walk by not from Acts, but from Romans the Philemon. Acts is just giving us a picture of what? Israel. They've fallen. They're diminishing away. And what's happening in that diminishing time? Why is God doing what he's doing? Now I'm way off track. Okay, what's he doing here? What's happening? Look at Acts 17. Look at verse 1. Why did Acts, I'm sorry, why did Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, why does he do this, uh, 17.2, 17.1? And now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Who? The synagogue of the Jews. And three Sabbath days, about three weeks, two to three weeks, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Why does the apostle of the Gentiles go to the synagogue as his manner was? Well, who's in the synagogue? Unbelieving Jew. Who are what? They need to get saved, don't they? He says there in 11.14, provoke them to emulation that I might save some of them. He's, he's in there giving them 
well, he opens and alleged in uh, verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. You know what? There, there's his gospel. What's Paul's gospel? Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And you just have to simply believe that faith alone. You don't have to do anything. Could you imagine telling a group in the synagogue that they don't have to do anything to have justification when their whole religious ideology is, is you have to do something to have justification? That's the whole combat in Acts 15. They say, hey, if you want to be saved, that's fine, but you've got to do what Moses tells you to do to do that. Paul says, no, you don't. We have a conflict. I could imagine. I, just the guts of Paul. Now, they know him as Saul of Tarsus. And he goes strut. Hey, we got Saul here today. Come on down, Saul. Give us a good word. What's the word? Paul gets up. Well, thank you very much. Good to see you, brother. And just booms him. Gives him the gospel. Lays out the, hey, you, you're a no consequence anymore. And the whole room just goes quiet. I mean, could you imagine? He did it. No wonder they wanted to kill him. <laughs> They're looking for him. What is he doing in verse 3? He's opening and alleging what? That Christ must suffer, needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is what? See that whom I preach unto you? How did he preach Christ? According to the revelation of the mystery. He didn't preach Christ according to his earthly ministry. He's preaching Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, but he's using the Old Testament to demonstrate that who Christ said he was, was their Messiah, and you guys stumbled over him, you missed him, and in Acts 7, when you killed Stephen just a few years ago, you fell, and because of your fall, God is now doing something different and new in the earth, in the world today, he's sending his salvation to the Gentiles, and you guys are diminishing away. You're, and he just preaches Romans 11 to them. Romans 9, 10, and 11 to them. You see, well, what did Paul preach to them? And he preached what he, his message is, is chapter 13 there in Acts. But he preaches what? Romans 9, 10, and 11 to them. You've lost your status. This is who you are. This is what's going on. Look now, watch, drop down to verse 10. Acts 17, 10. And the brethren immediately sent Paul away and Silas by night unto Berea, who came thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. <laughs> he went right back in. Hostile territory. Now, look at the next verse, because we love verse 11. But you better be very careful in loving verse 11. What's the first word in verse 11? These. Who are the these? The Jews, in verse 10, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So who was in Thessalonica? Some Jews at the synagogue. That's where he's been dealing with. That's verse 1. We're in Thessalonica. We're in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You know what those Jews in the synagogue at Berea were doing? They got the handout from Paul's message in Thessalonica, and they've been studying Daniel and Isaiah and Psalms to make sure that what Paul said was what? True. 
See, we like to go, well, we're going to be Bereans, but you're not a Jew. Now, I know the tenor, you're going to study it out, and I got that, and that's fine, use it that way. But in the context, what are these Jews doing? They're studying out the Old Testament scriptures to make sure that Paul's not feeding them a line. Now watch verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Berea, of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. I'm sorry, I missed verse 12. That's the verse I was after. Therefore many of them, what? Believe. You see, he does have converts from the Jews. What did those folks there, what did the Jews do? They received the word from Paul. And what did they do? They went and studied it out, made sure it was right. They let God's word be the authority. And what did they do? They believed. You know what they became? They became members of the church, the body of Christ, is what they did. Acts 17, verse 12. Because the, the Jews that are in the synagogue are who? They're the unbelievers. They're not the little flock. They're not the circumcision believer. The circumcision believer, Acts 8, is scattered abroad. They're just now beginning to kind of drift back into Jerusalem. But otherwise, they're not. They're gone. They're out. Why? Great persecution. I know in Acts 9, it's a great thing in Acts 9, the history there, Luke writes it down that the whole church had rest once Paul was converted and stuff. And I, I get some of them drift back in. But the thing is, is who's in the synagogue? It wouldn't be a believing remnant member. Because that's apostate in Israel. That's what they just came out of. So what's he doing? They go in and they believe. But what did they believe? They believed the word from Paul. Paul preached Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. He uses the Old Testament, because that's what he's got, to prove that when Christ said he was who he said he was, and now the new revelation is, is that event right there means something big time for you and I. You got you with, follow that? Okay, I hope. <laughs> All right. In 8.1, in Acts 8 to 28, what you have is a historical record of Israel's, come back to Acts 13, of Israel's fall, of, of Israel's diminishing. Okay? In, from Acts 8... 8-1 there, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. There's the believing remnant, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And the, the indication is really from Acts, you need Acts 13. And Acts 15 is that there is a church back at Jerusalem because Peter and Paul and them have a big meeting there at Jerusalem. So evidently some have drifted in but they would not have gone to the synagogue. They would have stayed over where they, on their own because that is not where they're supposed to be. In Acts 8 to 28, okay, I'll just say it that way, but you can go 9 to 28, you have the historical record of the diminishing of Israel. Israel is not being planted in the land, okay? Israel no longer has that tremendous evangel evangelistic outing that you see in 2 to 7, Acts 2 to 7. It's over. You no longer see the Holy Spirit's activity in Acts, in, in Israel. He's not there. Where is he? He's over here working with Paul and the, and the body. Okay? You no longer have a, a you no longer have a share in common, a sellout. 
what happens? In Acts 15, Peter and the guys say, Paul, you're on, you're good to go, we've got you, but just remember who? Do you remember? Remember the poor. And everybody goes, see, look, we've got to have a soup kitchen. But do you know that the poor in Peter's mind wasn't the soup kitchen guys? It was who? The guys in Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 who were the poor saints at Jerusalem. That's the poor he's talking about. Because what happens in the new message? You want to have, you better go get a job, man. God, don't sell out and bring it and lay it here to the apostles' feet. Now, if you want to sell and bring it to me, I'll, I, I, got some, I got a couple bills I can use it on, okay? That isn't the issue. The issue now is, Paul, remember those guys. So in, Acts, in Romans 15, he talks about taking the collection to, the, to Jerusalem. He, he lays it out in, in 1 Corinthians 16, how are you going to do it? He sends the word out and the great... Look over at Romans 15. I, I, I just, I know I'm going to end up going over again. Doggone it. Look at Romans 15, verse 26. But you just know more. There's, in, 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 in 8 to 28, there's no longer the sharing and having in common. So something clearly has what? Changed. It's happened. It's shifted. So from Acts 8 to 28, God demonstrates Israel's worthlessness, diminishing away. And Acts 8 to 28 is a written indictment against Israel. That indictment says, you had him, you stumbled. You had an opportunity, a renewed opportunity, you stumbled. You're having another opportunity, and what are you doing? Stumbling. You rejected, you rejected, and I'm talking about Acts 8 to 28, and what are you doing here? You're rejected. Look real quick at Romans 15, verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them, the folks there of Macedonia, Verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. What's happened? They did what Peter and the guys told them to do. God changed the program. Now they're bankrupt. Peter to Paul, go take care of them. Now go back to Acts 13. We can do this real quick, okay? There are three pronouncements by Paul to the Jews in Acts that demonstrate this diminishing issue. Acts 13, verse 45. Okay, Acts 13, verse 45. But when the Jew, now these, they are in Antioch. Uh, verse 14, and when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. They are roughly... 862 miles, land miles, from Jerusalem. We would call this Asia Minor, if you think about the, the, the map. Okay? In Acts 18, we'll get over there in just a second, he goes to Europe. He's in Corinth. He's roughly 812, 817 nautical miles, because of the way you can go across the water to get to him. He's moving further and further away from where? Jerusalem. In Acts 28, he's in Rome. 
He's 1,434 miles from Jerusalem. Who's becoming less and less of an issue? Israel. Acts 13, 18, 28. He's moving further and further away. They're not the issue. Okay? 1346. I'm, I'm sorry, 1345. Just look at these three real quick here. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to who? To the Gentiles. Now, notice the thing carefully. He's in the diminishing issue here. What did Israel do in response to Paul's ministry? They judged themselves unworthy. See that? Paul says, my manner is, I go in, I, give, I come to you first. You're, you first. And you know what you did? You rejected it. So where am I going? I'm going over here to the Gentiles. Come over to uh, Acts 18. By the way, the Gentiles have already been judged unworthy. God did it in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Set them, he says, you don't want to retain me in your knowledge? I'm, you're out. You're on your own. Romans 1, gave them up, gave them up, gave them up. Three strikes and you're out. So there's no reason to go to the Gentile to judge them unworthy. They're already what? Unworthy. But that Jew held a position. So you go there, nail them. Now what have they done? They've judged themselves unworthy. Acts 18, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Israel, you are solely responsible for your own predicament. I came, I gave you the message. The prophets came, gave you the message. The Lord came, gave you the message. Rejected, rejected. Little flock, word, rejected. I'm giving you the word and the diminishing, and what are you doing? Rejecting it. You are the sole responsible for you. So guess where we're going? To the Gentiles. 28, Acts 28. Acts 28 the verse is 28, so we'll just, but you can start in verse 26 if you'd like, but verse 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. Now think about it. 13, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. 16, we're going to the Gentiles. 28 says what? It's already there. It's already sent to them. And you know what? They're going to hear it. So Paul is confronting Israel, Romans 11, verse 12, in the diminishing of them. If the fall of them be the riches of the world, Israel's fall introduced wonderful news to the world. 
God is not, he's going to come deal with you directly. The salvation, his salvation is coming right to you directly. You don't have to go through Israel. You don't have to do any of Israel's, that law. Pro, he's, he has blotted out the handwriting of our ordinances that are against us. He's accomplished what the law required. The law, the, the law there, uh, we saw it there in uh, Romans 10, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believe it. He's, so now... You just got to come. The mediator between God and man is the man Christ Jesus. It isn't all this other stuff. The Gentiles were like, cool, all right, woo, good news. We got a guy talking to us. Verse 13, I speak to you Gentiles. Who am I? I'm the apostle. I magnify my, the Gentiles were like, man, would you come back next week and tell us some more? That was pretty good. We'd like to hear some more of this. He goes, sure, I'll be glad to do it. Comes back in, but what did the Jews do? They were standing. It's Acts 13, Acts 18, 20, three strikes. At the close of Acts 28, they are done. Their diminishing is over. They are nothing but another Gentile nation in the eyes of God. They have no special standing. They have no special status in the eyes of God. Yeah, but Rick, don't you think that's, you know, you're not really going for, you know, you're not really on the Jews' side. They're God's people. No, they're not. Not today in the age of grace. You know what they are? They're sinners just like you and I are. You know what they need to hear? Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Now, if you want to support them and send money and stuff, that's fine, but don't do it thinking you're going to get something. I'm for supporting people. That's fine. But you've already gotten everything, Ephesians 1.3. Colossians 2.10. Do it because of an understanding of something else. Don't do that, that thing in Romans 15 when they, the Macedonians, what did they cry? They said, hey, we get to enjoy the spiritual things. It's our duty to go take care of their physical thing. Why? He didn't say we're going to do it to get something. He goes, we already got it. We got the spiritual things. If, uh, anyway, there's just so much here, folks. Verse 12, now if the fall of them be the diminishing of the world, uh, uh, the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the what? The riches of the Gentiles. Paul, the book of Acts is not written to give you and I, it's been said, the birth certificate of the church. By the way, where does mainline Christianity think the church started? Acts 9 or 2? 2. No. What's going on in Acts 2, his little flock, Peter, and so forth. Where did the the dispensation of grace start? The fall of Israel, Acts 7. Where does the church start? Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He has to change the program so he can deal with Saul because of Matthew 13. Or Matthew 12, I'm sorry. Deals with Paul. Paul says, we now preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Not according to this Not according to out here in the future, but according to here right now. And what's happening in Acts is Acts is a a written indictment in the word of God. You rejected him, you killed him. You rejected him, you killed him. You rejected him, and ultimately they they have Paul killed. Because you know what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment? There's going to be a Jew that's going to stand up and say, yeah, I wasn't there. So how can you hold me accountable? And he's going to say, it's right there, Bubba. You had it the whole time. 
Then there's going to be the Jew that was over there that pulled the trigger on one of these guys, one of the killing of the prophets, and go, yeah, but we were just doing. And he says, yeah, but you, or no, you didn't tell us, God. Come on, God. You, you, one, of their, one of their things is, how can we believe if we didn't hear it? No, 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 it's right there. And there's a wonderful book in there called the Book of the Acts of the Apostles, and you did know it, and you rejected it. You see, they're, they're just people like you and I. And they're going to claim the escape clause of Eve. Oh, the devil made me do it. And you know what he's going to say? Nope. You did it because you're a sinner. That's why you did it. The slow movement away from Jerusalem demonstrates the slow diminishing of Israel. And again, it's about 30 years or so. And I'll be honest with you, if you look at Acts in the Romans 11, 11, and 12 viewfinder, Acts will no longer cause you to stumble and worry about any of it. Because it's not the history of the church, but rather it's the history of Israel's failure to recognize their Messiah, to recognize the believing remnant, to recognize Paul in the, in the, in the body of Christ. So it's God's written indictment against Israel's failure. And it also is, proves that God is right and just to go to the Gentiles without Israel. Because look at their spiritual condition. Okay? Now, we'll pick up next time, because it's time to quit, right on time. Next time, with the provoking in 11.11 and, and, and we'll get verse 13, 14, and 15 in that provoking because that provoking also causes you to trip. you got to get that squared away, because then we go into verse 16 and following, and we start breaking stuff up and clipping off and joining this and that. And if you don't have 11, 11 and 12, actually 11 to 15, right in your thinking, you will break your fool spiritual neck on verse 7, 16 to 25, because you're going to think it's something that it isn't. And we'll look at that next time, okay? Uh, the provoking. And then we'll, then we'll get into the other, all right? And we'll spend about 10 weeks dealing with the other one, right? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the study of it and to look into it and to see the, the wonderfulness of, of your wisdom and what you're doing and what you did do and what you will do in the future. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Happy